Hey, Life Changes Church, my name is Rob Chifokoyo coming live at you from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We're just an hour out of Philadelphia and uh, here in the United States. And I'm so, so privileged, so privileged to be sharing God's word with you this morning. Well, Gabe, Mark, and uh, the rest of the leadership, thank you so much. Such an honor for me to get to do this. Um, if you don't know how I know Life Changes, Life Changes, you are actually the first the first church to send a missions team to us in Zimbabwe when I was still doing ministry back home. And so I've since uh, moved here to the United States, but kept in touch with Gabe, with Mark, and it's just been awesome to, to just stay connected. I've known Gabe since, since we were kids, practically family, grew up together in the streets of Harare. And so it's always great to be reunited, even though it's virtual. Well, this morning, my sermon is all about the 26th. Okay, it's all about the day after Christmas. Uh, in the United States, I'm going to tell you this. Here's a statistic. I don't know what it's like in South Africa. I don't know what it's like back home in Zim. But I know in the United States, 90 billion, an estimated $90 billion worth of gifts are going to be returned today. $90 billion. I can't even think about how much $90 billion really is. I can't even really put it in words. That's like Zimbabwe's GDP like times nine. But I think about that and I'm thinking through like $90 billion is going to be returned back. People are going to say, hey, listen, the gift doesn't quite fit. The gift wasn't quite right, you know, and, and there's nothing worse, right? Christmas morning, you wake up, you're excited, you're ready to go. You're like, oh my goodness, yes, it's about Jesus, but uh, it's absolutely about what I'm going to get, right? And then you look and you open the gift and, and you find that that cool pair of sneakers that you were hoping for is a size too big and you have to join the returns queue so that you can you can give it back. And and here's the real deal. I, I want to say this. I, as I was preparing the sermon, there was something stirring in my heart that was leading me to like, you know what, it's kind of it's appropriate that, that that does happen because December 25th, as Christians, we recognize that that's the day that God, we were remembering God's gift to us, our Father, given, giving His Son to us in Jesus, this child in a manger born in Bethlehem. This is the gift that is given to us to save us from sin and death. And, and I see that in all of that, that in, 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 in all of that, for most people right now, especially around me, they're doing what they're calling deconstruction. I don't know what you, if it's happening there in Cape Town, but I'm pretty sure it's happening all over the world where people have bought into maybe uh, Christendom or cultural Christianity. And, and now what, what, that what they were given, they're going, I don't think I want this anymore. I don't think I want this version of Jesus. I, I, I don't think it quite fits. And even in the times that we're living in right now, it, it oftentimes, sometimes feels like Jesus didn't quite fit. He doesn't quite fit the narrative of popular culture today. And so you look at that and there's a lot of people who are in the returns line who are going, I'm here to return Jesus. And just before you do that, if you're thinking about that, I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen to this passage of scripture because here's the deal. Sometimes what's happened and oftentimes, in fact, I can say it's absolutely all the time, 
it is our expectations of who Jesus is that, that have not been met, but it's not Jesus' expectation of who he's either said he is or what he's going to do. It's just our own set of circumstances, our own expectations that we've cast on Jesus. Jesus ought to do this for me. And I know that I grew up in a, in, 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 I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I grew up around cultural Christianity. And before I was a Christian, what I thought would happen is if you came to know Jesus, then everything will be okay. And we all know that that's not true, that your life isn't going to be dandy the moment that you come to know Jesus. So that was a false expectation that had been placed on me and I had placed that on Jesus. And if Jesus didn't make my entire life perfect, everything blessing upon blessing, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, w- I would be going, I'm taking you back. But, you know, we're going to look here and, and understand this, that there are two things that I want to kind of flesh out this morning. And, and, and those things are hope and hype. And, and, I, and I want to encourage you. Jesus is calling us to, to, to embrace the hope, to embrace the hope in Christ, but not the hype. The hype will say a whole lot of things. We'll find as you read through the New Testament, especially as you're going toward Jesus's death, you'll find that there was a lot of hype, but a lot of people were buying into the hype and not the hope. And Jesus kept preaching the hope. Jesus kept preaching the hope over hype, which is the title of my sermon, Hope Over Hype. And I wanna say this, this morning as we go into God's word, I want to tell you that hope is everlasting. Hope is everlasting. He is the hope that will never be put to shame. Romans says hope is everlasting. But I'm going to tell you that hype is a shelf life and hype fades and hype is gone. It's here today, gone tomorrow. But we are resting in the hope of Jesus Christ. And, and that's what this is all about. So, so keep the gift. Hold on to the gift. Don't return it quite yet. Let's go and dive into God's word and see what he says. Here in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. I, I use a, a funny thing. I use a $20 billion Zimbabwean dollar note as my, as my Bible marker. It reminds me. It reminds me about width over depth, which is another sermon for another day. Um, so Luke 17, we're going to start here in verse 11. It says this. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. We need to remember this part. I want you to remember this part. And then when, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Another thing you need to remember. And then verse 15 says this, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. 
I'm going to pray quickly before we dive into the, into, into the sermon. Lord, we just thank you for everyone watching. We thank you for technology, Lord, that I can be speaking from Pennsylvania and the U United States to people who are in Cape Town, South Africa. And I just thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you'd be glorified through the airwaves, Lord, that you'd be glorified through this message. Father, I ask that you would be the loudest voice over this broadcast, Lord, that you would be the one to do a work, not just in the hearts of the people listening, but in my heart as I preach this. We love you, Jesus. We thank, we thank you over and over again for the gift that you are to us, that you have given us, Lord. And we thank you for everything that you're doing at Life Changes. We thank you for who you are, Jesus. Amen. All right. So we find in this passage of scriptures, you dive in just to give you a little bit of context. What's happening here is um, Jesus is, is, is making his way, he's making his way downtown, he's making his way into a village. And the welcoming committee at this village are all the unclean people. They're on the outskirts of the village. And the reason why they're on the outskirts of this, of this town is because that is where the unclean people were placed. The unclean people were put out of sight. All right, you're too, you're too dirty to be around those who are clean. Leprosy was a disease that would get you shunned. And so Jesus' welcoming committee are the shunned ones. Jesus' welcoming committee are the outsiders, not the insiders, not the very important people. The, the VIPs are nowhere near Jesus. On the entry, upon entry into a place, Jesus' welcoming committee are those who have been cast out. And we find here that, that in that, there's, there's something that I that I just kind of kind of get in in a, in a huge way that just really tingles in especially in my soul it, it I find that oftentimes like the people who are most willing to engage Jesus are the ones who have visible symptoms of sin you know everyone wrestles with sin and 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 you look here at leprosy and even biblically how sometimes disease is, is being magnified or is being pointed out and, and paralleled as 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 sin you find that those who have outward symptoms of this disease, those who have messed up so much that other people can easily point out where you messed up, those are the people who oftentimes are the ones who are most willing to go welcome Jesus. Those are the people who are willing to lay it all on the line for Jesus, which is what these people were doing. These people in their affliction, they were coming up to Jesus and going, we need to welcome you. We, are, we have lost all hope. We have lost all hope. We, we need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. So, and you find here that my first point and the point that I want to make and, and really the point that I want to drum away at throughout the sermon is this, is that, is that hype, right? There's a brokenness. There's a hype in brokenness. There's a hype in being um, uh, afflicted. There's a hype that comes with brokenness. And that hype that comes with brokenness oftentimes is found in the, in, in the society that we live in today. We find that in this story, Jews and Samaritans, if you, if you, if you know your Bible, and, and if you don't know this, I'll just point it out, Jews and Samaritans never mixed. So in the clean part of town, Jews and Samaritans are not in contact with one another. Jews and Samaritans are like, listen, they have, they, have, they have beef, there's an issue. They're like, yo, we don't mess with each other. This doesn't, this doesn't work. It's, it's, it's like, I, I don't even know how to liken it. Where I live here in Philadelphia, the rival is the Dallas Cowboys. Anyone who wears a Cowboys shirt in Philadelphia, you know, you'll get, people will just, you know, they would just verbally abuse you. I'm just going to be for real. And, and the reality is that people, they're like, we don't mix. 
We're not of the same tribe. But you find that in the broken community, in the one community where there's actual brokenness that people can see, you find that Jews and Samaritans are mixing. You find that in the story that at the end, you, you'll see that there were 10 people and one of them definitely was a foreigner. Jesus even says, this foreigner is the only one who's come back. You find that there's unity in brokenness. You, you, we, we sometimes think even in today that, that sometimes we find more unity in places that we would say um, are sinful than we would find in the church. We would find more, a more uh, uh, diverse congregation, a more, di- more, more inclusive community, a more welcoming community in the spaces where there is brokenness and there's outward symptoms of sin than we would find in a place that's supposed to say everyone's welcome. Like I've seen it and that's my wrestle as a pastor here. To say that there cannot be more unity among people from different backgrounds, socioeconomic, ethnic, whatever it is, tribes, whatever it is. There cannot be more unity out there than there is in the house of God. That we are the ones who are, who are, who are, who are, who are joined together by the blood of Jesus. That this is the place that needs and ought to shout unity from the rooftops. But we find that not all unity is good. Because even though there's unity in the brokenness, we find that that unity is fickle. We find that these guys aren't together. Even though they're sick together, they aren't clean together. And so we find in the story, as Jesus is, is walking and is encountering these people, is that the truth we have to settle into is that not all unity is, 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 is good, that there's a hype in, in, in unity oftentimes, and there's a hype in brokenness. Jesus, some, you know, as, as Christians, we, we are set apart. And, and oftentimes, even in this story, in this passage of scripture, we find that, that we have a longing to belong. And sometimes we have a longing to be accepted. As you find, and I, I might touch on this at the end again, but I just want to say this, that as they went to the priests, as you find in the story, as they went to the priests, some guys were more concerned about being reinstated into society than they were about going to worship the one who had healed them. And so we look at this and this welcoming committee, they're shouting out something and they're shouting out this word, epistatis. You often find epistatis used and what it means in English is master. And you find that these guys who were like broken and they were left to nothing, they were cast out. Leprosy is such an ugly disease that leaves you with boils and sores and, and you lose feeling and, and people, because you lose the ability to feel pain, oftentimes people lose legs and lose arms because they, they burn themselves because they can't feel pain. And so you find that this disease, it, it makes your voice hoarse. These cries of master, they are full of pain, full of, full of sorrow. And you find that those are the people who are crying out master. I, I want to encourage you this, this morning, whatever pain you're in, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is life's thrown at you, whatever it is December 26 may mean to you, I, I just, if, if, it's, if it's a negative thing, I, I want to encourage you, cry out to Jesus, cry out Master. Before you cry out anything else, I want to ask you, have you cried out Master? Have you cried out Master? And they cried out, Master, because they knew that Jesus was the only one who could save them. They knew that Jesus was the only one who could heal them. And, and you know, when you've tried everything, 
they knew in and of themselves that, listen, we might as well try Jesus. And oftentimes, even I speak to brothers and sisters in Christ who have tried everything other than Jesus. They've tried everything other. They've tried every essentials, oils. They've tried, okay, I'm going to go on a keto diet. You know, I'm going to try this. You know, I don't know. Maybe keto is going to help me get close. No, this, the, the, the first and foremost response that we need to have is crying out to our master. Whenever we're faced with tragedy, faced with difficulty, faced with the, the affliction of sin like these, these men in this passage were, we cry out, Master. Our Master is the one with the answer. And then we find in the story, one of the things that I think is really obvious is that oftentimes it's our pain. It's actually society casting us out. It's actually disappointment and loss oftentimes that allows us to look up and say, Master, you know, sometimes we go through painful things in our lives and we think God is punishing us and God may not be the author of the pain, but God will use the pain to show himself, to reveal himself, to give, to glorify himself. And we live in a fallen, broken world. There's an enemy out there and we're all afflicted with different things that come into our lives. But God uses the pain. He uses the difficulty, he uses the times that we're down on ourselves, that life seems, everything seems lost. He uses those moments to magnify himself, to appear before us as we, and, and to bring Bring us to a point as well of humility and desperation to say, Master, only you can save me. And I know that many testimonies are across the screen. I know that. I know that there's a testimony in myself. Eight years ago, I was dying of kidney failure in a hospital in Zimbabwe at the time, which was the second poorest country in the world. And I'm dying in a hospital in Zim. And, and, and I've got no hope. My insurance has run out. My money's run out. And I get a call from the church that I now serve as a pastor. And they said, we're not going to let you die. And they raised a quarter of a million US dollars. And they flew me to the United States. And a young man who was 24 years old heard the cry. I'm, I've, I've lost all hope. And a 23-year-old guy, 7,500 miles away from me, gave me a kidney. And that's how I'm standing and preaching the sermon in front of you. So when you cry out, Master, and, and, and in the desperation of kidney failure, I might have thought God has abandoned me. It was painful. It was difficult. There were many dark nights. But God was working something through that pain to reveal himself to me and to glorify himself to glorify himself in front of all these people, in front of the people in my family who didn't believe in him. Master, a marvelous, wonder-working father. And so we find here that these guys do this. And then we find here that there's this lie as well in the story, right? We read in, 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 in verse, in, at the end there, when we're looking further at the story, we we find here that he says to him, he says, um, go, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. Go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. I want to just point one thing out. There is no template. I, I love how Jesus does this. You know, if, you, if I walk into a, into a bookstore today, I'll find, you know, 10, 10 ways to make your marriage better. Or I'll find another thing that will say, you know, five ways to raise your kids right. You know, you know eight ways to become a billionaire. You know, all the things. I'm like, eight ways to become a billionaire. I've been a quadrillionaire in my life and I didn't use any of those pathways. But anyway, um, 
you know, you find all these steps to, steps to, steps to, five steps to a better prayer life, you know. And I find that, I love that Jesus doesn't have a template in the Bible. His template actually is obedience. Jesus doesn't go, you know what, hey, blind dude, like, we're going to do the whole mud thing again. I'll spit in the mud, you know, you know, you know the deal. That's, that's the mixture. That's the recipe. He doesn't say that. Sometimes he says, get up and walk. Sometimes he lays hands on someone. Sometimes he says, go and be cleansed. Sometimes he actually prays for the person. You'll find even as you look through scripture, you'll find that there's passages where where Jesus encounters lepers um, and, 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 and he doesn't do this. But as they went, they were cleansed. You know, that's walking by faith. That's literally walking by faith. These lepers were just told by Jesus to go show themselves to the priest and as they went, they were cleansed. I, want, I just want to speak just a word of encouragement. You are waiting, waiting in a stagnant posture for Jesus to start doing something first. And then you are going to then obey. And I want to let you know this. Obey. And as you go, he will provide. And as you go, he will move. And as you go, you will find doors opening. And as you go, as they went, they were cleansed. And oftentimes this faith walk is a faith walk and it's not for the faint hearted. And so oftentimes Jesus says, okay, you really want to do what I'm asking you to do? Then go. Then go. It's one third of the word gospel. Go. And as you go, you find that Jesus is working. He's working in your movements. These guys, I feel like they were, they were starting to see the boils go away, starting to get their voices back, starting to go, oh my goodness, I'm getting back. I'm getting my hair back. Oh, geez, like I'm getting healed as I'm walking. And maybe the skip in their steps started changing and they started doing a, maybe a little shimmy, a little Harlem shake, whatever it was. But they were going and as they went, they were finding that they were cleansed. Let me carry on. Let me carry on here. I want to I I point this out and say this, and say that this is, this is something that, that, that I think is, is, is important. You know, the hype around Jesus is, if Jesus answered your prayers right now, like if he answered your prayers right now, then you would, you would do X, Y, Z. And Jesus just answered your prayers. And, and I want to tell you this, like these guys, Jesus answered their prayers. He healed them. But only one guy came back. I try and think about that scenario and that sequence and in my own life, like Jesus, if only you did, if you just did this for me and how many times Jesus has just done that for me. Hey, Jesus, if you just gave me a new kidney. Oh, Jesus, I'll be missionary of the year. Jesus, I'll be in Guatemala. Where do you want me to go? I'll go to Syria if you heal me. Like Jesus, I'll go to the hardest places in the world, whatever you call me to. But the reality is that the posture is, is, is not that. Jesus is like, no, I don't, I don't want you to go to Syria. But I just like, I want you to go to your neighbor. Hey, like, even though he's answered all these prayers, oftentimes we think that obedience will follow Jesus doing something for us. But you find that these guys, they were healed and they booked out. And, you, and the only guy who came back, the only guy, only one guy, came back and worshipped. And the guy who came back and worshipped, he wasn't healed, he was saved. He wasn't healed, he was saved. The template is obedience. Church, if we get that right, that if we can just obey now, if we can become obedient to that voice, 
as Jesus speaks, as Jesus speaks, we follow. As Jesus speaks, we follow. You're like, how do I know? How do I know this is Jesus' voice? I've lived here in the States now for about eight years almost. And um, American accent is so like, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Huh? Six sticks out like a sore thumb. And, and, and I was just like, and I was asking like, Lord, like, you know, how do I learn your voice? It's like, listen, Rob, imagine, imagine you were just like in Abuja in Nigeria and you're just hearing all these accents coming at you and you're hearing all the, you're just hearing a Nigerian accent, Nigerian accent. And all of a sudden you heard someone say, we should probably go to Chipotle. And if you heard that, you would 100% know that there's an American here. You would know, is there any water? And you'd be like, there's an American in the room. There's an American somewhere here. And it's like, that's how distinct my voice is. When you're going through stuff and you're in, in a situation, when you build intimacy, when you now know that this is the accent of the Spirit of God, when you, when you now can distinguish it, you'll be able to follow that voice. And that voice often oftentimes is, is, is going against the flesh. It's going against the things that you're just like, these are self-serving things. Oftentimes it pushes us to go in a faith posture like these men. It's like, go, obey, obey. I want to end with this. My time is running out now. I want to end with this. You know, um, these guys didn't do anything to deserve this gift. They shouted out, Master, and Jesus healed them. They didn't do anything to deserve it. They weren't good guys. They didn't say these guys got leprosy, but they were great guys. Nothing. In fact, oftentimes at the end of the story, you find out that they, it's probably, <laughs> they were probably terrible guys. And one of them wasn't even part of Jesus' tribe. One of them was a Samaritan. And there are two things that I want to close with. The first thing I want to say is we've done nothing to deserve the gift that has been given to us. We didn't do anything. But once you receive a gift, right, isn't it weird how quickly we become entitled? Because it's ours. But then when we really think about it, we've done nothing to deserve this gift. The gift that we've been given of eternal life and relationship back with our Father in heaven was given to us freely on the cross. Jesus didn't say, hey, listen, because you guys in Cape Town are so good. You're so nice. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to go on the cross and die for you and give you access to everything that I have access to. I'm going to give it to you. We didn't do anything. You weren't that nice. You're not that cute. You're not that cool. It's a free gift freely given to us. You know, I, was, uh, I use this example because I, I have kids now. I'm a dad. And, and I remember one day after church, I use them in sermon illustrations all the time. And after church, I'm, I'm speaking and, and this one woman comes to me. He's like, you always give, you know, the example of your children as, as, as um, in, in, the, in the sermons. I just love that. I've just never seen your kids. And at that point in time, it was perfect. I was like, oh, geez, there comes my daughter. She's coming up from children's church. That's, that's her. And as my finger was going to point to my daughter, as was going, it almost happened in slow motion. As my finger was going to point at my daughter and say, that's her. Her little finger was making its way up into her, into her nostril. 
And as soon as I said, that's her, her finger doom, was right in her nostril. And I couldn't, I couldn't even say, that's not my kid. She was the only black kid there. Other kids I wanted to, I wanted to say, you know, it's weird. I know it's going to be funny, but it's actually the blonde kid with the blue eyes. That's my son. It was a genetic thing. But no, her finger was in her nostril, just digging, 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 digging. And I know this is gross, but I'm trying to illustrate a point here. She was digging, 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 digging. And I was like, yeah, that's her. That's that's the one, the one with the index finger up her nose. And as she pulled it out, all I could do was pray that she wouldn't eat that booger. I was like, please, just don't put it in your mouth. And she, the Lord heard my prayer. She didn't put it in her mouth. She just flicked it. She just flicked it in the lobby somewhere at the church. It's still there in the carpet, I, I assure you. And so she flicks this booger. And that's my kid. She's not any less my kid, right? She is my booger flipping kid. And I want you to know that you're not going to see this on a t-shirt. You're not going to see this on a printed on a coffee cup. But the reality is that we are God's booger flippers. He loves us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. Jesus loves us with our finger in our nostril digging. He's saying, that's mine. That's mine. That's mine. She's mine. He's mine. He's saying that because we're his kids. We haven't done anything to deserve it. We're his, we are his booger flippers. And so you find that this gift is freely given to you. Not because of what you've done, but because of who he is. I want to say this. If you feel like a foreigner, you feel like an outsider, you feel like you're not clean enough, you feel like, you know what, I don't deserve this gift. You're right, you don't deserve the gift. If you don't feel like you're clean enough, yeah, without Jesus Christ, you're not clean enough. If you feel like an outsider, yeah, without Jesus, you're an outsider. But you know what Jesus has done, what the cross of Christ has done, what Christmas is all about, what that gift in a manger was. That gift in a manger was saying the outsiders are in. That gift in a manger was the outsiders are in. Born in a posture of fleeing, tyranny, he came to save the world, you and I. And we are that one foreigner, that one outsider that runs back to Jesus. If you've been far from Jesus, you're running away from Jesus, I'm, 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 I'm praying that this morning that you come back and that you come back as a worshiper. And you come back with a heart of worship. If Jesus has done something for you, geez, this evokes worship in my heart, just saying my story once again. It had become old to me. But saying it once again this morning, it evokes worship in me. I want to run back to the feet of Jesus on my knees and just worship and just worship. No more hype and really just embrace the hope, the hope that he is, Emmanuel. May God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Amen.